everybody and welcome to another edition of the Warm Football Index Scouting Podcast and where once again I'm joined by Lee Scott. Lee, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Grant. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. I, it's just uh, <sighs> freezing. <laughs> it's, it's freezing up here. I don't know what it was like on your coast. I take it it's the same. I doubt it's, it's tropic. Believe it or not, we've, we've kind of missed the worst of it over the last week. We've had no snow. Oh, really? Oh, uh, wow. There. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were completely inundated. It was the worst I've seen it for a long, long time up here. And I live right at the very top of Aberdeen on a hill. It's a bit like Narnia here. Whenever it snows, it gets, <laughs> it gets a little bit crazy. But yeah, we, we've missed it. And now it's kind of warm outside. So no Well, I can't. I can tell you this, it is rubbish here, it just snows away, but it's still rubbish because it's freezing. But I mean, let's let's sort of cast on that a bit wider and maybe go to some more exotic reaches of the world here <laughs> in, this, uh, in, in this conversation. Uh, so much like last time, we've got another four players to discuss, um, but before we move on to them, it would be worth updating on the progress of our last four. Uh, so Dennis Geiger continues to get regular game time at Hoffenheim, he's doing quite well. Um, Kieran Tierney, he's still excelling at Celtic, he's recently signed a new six-year deal um, um, although I would say maybe his form has sort of tailed off a little bit, but kind of looking like he's slightly burned out. So hopefully Celtic and Rogers can um, look at maybe a bit of a rotation option for him and give him a bit of a break. But I would say that the, the two Dutchmen we discussed last time, uh, Frankie de Jong and Per Schurz, have probably grabbed the headlines the most. Um, I mean, de Jong has been brilliant for Ajax in a variety of roles, and Per Schurz has sealed his sort of expected move to Ajax for the start of 2018-19. So, uh, have you got a quick word on them? I think that, as we spoke about last time, I think Schurz has made the, made the right move. There were links for him to clubs like Liverpool and the English Premier League, and I think that one day he'll reach that level, but I don't think he's there yet. I think that going to a club like Ajax, where I would assume if they keep Matthias De Ligt next season, then I would assume that Schurz will be the third choice behind De Ligt and Wober. Frankie de Jong has been sensational, but he's he's been playing that defensive role, which is something that nobody really saw coming before Marshall Kaiser was sacked before the winter break at Ajax. He was actually playing him alongside Matthijs de Ligt as a centre-back, but it was a, a kind of a role that I've never seen before. I mean, you hear about attacking Liberos playing behind the defensive line, but this was almost an attacking Libero within the defensive line. So whenever Ajax had possession of the ball, you see the player take the ball and move forward, the young move forward quite easily. He moves into the midfield, he moves towards the final third, and his ability on the ball is just undiminished. He played there again at the weekend, uh, the first match that um, Ajax had with Eric Ten Hag as coach, and he played again as a centre-back with Wolver still injured. So it'll be interesting to see going forward. I think he'll still move back at the midfield. But it's really interesting to see a player so young who can add another position to his bow, as it were. And with, as you say, Kieran Tierney's been looking a little bit jaded recently, but I think that's got more to do with Celtic as a whole. Celtic aren't quite mm. the, the overwhelming dominant force that we've seen don't get me wrong, they're still miles ahead of most Scottish teams, but they're not quite as dominant in matches as they were, and I think that's kind of taken its impact on, on Tierney's form. And I think that Dennis Geiger signed a new contract too. And Hoffenheim, so that's another one who's been signed up, obviously. Nagelsmann values him in the shield and midfield role, so he's just signed a new deal too. Excellent, good stuff. Well, uh, hopefully the, the next four um, we're going to talk about here can maybe have similar progress. Uh, so, I mean, the, the first player we're going to discuss is uh, Phil Foden from Manchester City. So, Phil took a I don't know why I called him Phil. It doesn't even make sense. Foden took a starting role uh, <laughs> as England under seventeens won their World Cup. Uh, so, what what kind of player is he? Two things that jump out at me are that he's not you know, quote-unquote, technically English, and that he has a touch of David Silva's about him. So what, what can you tell us about him? I think that his, his nickname in some circles is the Stockport Iniesta. And I think that that kind of <laughs> tells you everything you need to know about his, not so much his ability, but his ceiling, his potential. And whenever we speak about players that are this young, you're not speaking about them as a finished article, you're speaking about almost what they could become. And there's an element of, of scouting and of player identification and recruitment of, of kind of you can't see in the future with a football player. You just can't. You never know what's going to happen in terms of a loss of confidence, a bad injury, something happening in his personal life that sets him back. But you, you can kind of see what you see as the, the best case scenario for the player. I think that Phil Foden has got it all, to be honest with you. As you say, he's not a typical English player in that he doesn't 
there isn't a direct English comparison over the last 20 years to a player like Phil Foden. Some people may say Paul Scholes. His schools in his early career when he was a striker and he kind of moved back into midfield. For a little while he played in a role similar to Phil Foden, but their skill sets are completely different. Foden is, as you said, David Silva is another good another good example. So almost you're, you're, you're steering away from the typically English and you're going to the, the Spanish the Spanish number 10, number 8 hybrid that we've seen over recent years. So the David Silvas and the, the Juan Matas, even, even, as I say, Andrew Iniesta. He plays in the half spaces, so he, he doesn't he's not overly comfortable wide, although he can't play on either flank. He's better in the centre as part of a three man midfield where he can kind of drift. He's extremely technical. He's he's got the best feet for a young player that I have seen in a long, long time. The only the only player that he brought to mind when I saw him for the first time was actually his compatriot at Manchester City, a Spaniard called Brahim Diaz who's another part of the under-23 squad at Manchester City, who's been tipped to make a breakthrough into Pep Guardiola's first team for some time now. They're quite similar in the way that they receive the ball with their body shape and the way that they manipulate the ball around opponents. It's it's a very interesting style. He's not much of a finisher yet. He's more of a, a creator, but his, his ability to pass and switch play and find angles is, is really, really impressive for one so young. I, you mentioned... Uh... Brahim Diaz there and because for a while there was a sort of triumvirate at Man City in terms of like youth prospects you know there was a Foden Diaz and there was Jaden Sancho uh, now S- Sancho was another member of that World Cup winning under 17 uh, squad for England but he left City to join Dortmund partially in the hope that he'd receive more first team opportunities and that kind of looks like it's been happening the way that the last few months have been going you know he's, he's been getting some appearances I think he started two games in a row recently for Dortmund but looking at the makeup of the City squad, you would say that Foden faces the same kind of blockages that Sancho did in regards to first team minutes, even though they played sort of different positions. But what would you say is about the environment at City that made Foden want to stay rather than maybe look elsewhere? I think it's as simple as Pep Guardiola. I think that Foden, the issue with Sancho arose in the preseason. When he was left out of the squad, I think, to travel to America for one of the pre-season tournaments, whereas Brian Diaz and Phil Foden were included and they went with the first-team squad. I think Jaden Sancho felt a little slighted with that. And as you say, Sancho's played the last two games for Borussia Dortmund and two games he could conceivably have been named man of the match for them. He's been that good there. So there's no doubt in his talent, maybe a little bit more his character. But Foden has had nothing but encouragement from Guardiola. I think that... Guardiola has got a, a reputation for taking on these projects of players. You look at Thiago when he was at Barcelona and obviously took Thiago to, to Bayern Munich. You look at Pierre-Emil Hoiberg when he was at Bayern Munich. There was a lot of individual work there. And even a player like Javi Martinez at Bayern Munich. There was a lot of individual tactical work done by Guardiola. And I think that Phil Foden understands that he's in a place right now where at his age he can learn Yes, there has to be an element where he has to play first team minutes, but at what point do you decide that your tactical evolution and your tactical training takes a back seat to that? I think that's where the the disconnect comes. And before, unfortunately, Phil Foden's actually injured at the moment. He picked up quite a nasty injury towards yeah. the, the tail end of last year, and he's going to be out for a little while. But I think before that, he was starting to make inroads into the squad. He appeared in a couple of Champions League games. He was kind of getting off the bench more for the Premier League games. And I think that if you see a player like David Silva or even Kevin De Bruyne, if, if they were to pick up any significant injuries or suspensions when Phil Foden is fit, I think he would be in contention for those minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Because that, that is one of the next questions I was going to ask would be that, do you think he, he's capable of, as, as he is just now, you know, not even talking about potentially, just as he is just now, I mean, let's say he was still fit, do you think he would be capable to get minutes um, at the level that a team like Manchester City demand? I don't know, to be honest. I would like to say yes, because he has all the ability in the world, but at some point it comes down to something more than ability. It takes a very special kind of player to be able to slot into this Manchester City to side and, and pick up minutes. The way that they're playing at the moment, the speed of thought that you have to have to be able to play the combinations that they play towards the final third. He has the technical ability to do that, and he has the tactical ability to do that. But whether he has the, the, the mental fortitude to, to slot in and take minutes and, and kind of stand up to the pressure, I'm not sure. Guardiola has, um, 
constantly said when he's been asked in press conferences this season that Phil Foden will not go out on loan this year. But there was all, he always added the this year. So I'm not sure there's a plan perhaps to put him out on loan next season, even to to um, Girona in Spain, for example, if he could go there, pick up some first team minutes, a very tactical, technical style of football that would suit him. It's not the Premier League, and I'm sure there would be Premier League and Championship suitors for him. But I think that Manchester City won't want to let him too far out of their sight in terms of his development. So keeping him within their kind of stable of clubs would make sense. Yeah, because I, I th- you sort of touched on that earlier, but I, I think that maybe a lot of people... I wouldn't say they, they, they put too much importance on it, but I would say that a lot of people do think it's all about minutes, it's all about playing, and that's all that matters. But I mean, surely it, it, it wouldn't serve someone like Ford and just to like pump him out on loan to any sort of team, even if they're playing the Premier League, for example. I mean, cause if they don't play in any sort of style that even vaguely reflects something like Man City, because you would say that if, if he was to go out on loan, an ideal sort of team would have been like, this, you know, like a Swansea team of a few years ago, you know, where like they did play possession-based football and stuff like that, and it was quite technical. I mean, obviously less so now. But do you think that it's kind of of the utmost importance that if he does go out on loan, then yeah, it has to be somewhere. Not because like, you mentioned Girona, and like they're obviously connected with um, Manchester City in terms of the the overarching um, football group that owns these clubs. But do you think it is? of the utmost importance that he does go somewhere where basically he's not going to get asked to just put a shift in and, and run up and down the flank and stuff, you know? Yeah, I think it's a huge part now of of kind of a player's pathway towards the first team. When when he gets to a certain stage and his club decide that he, he does need those minutes, as you say, the minutes aren't the real and end all, but they are important at a certain point of a player's development. So I think that when his club, when Manchester City decide that they can't give him the amount of minutes that he needs to to fully develop and to reach his potential, that they will look for a a suitable suitor. But it's very, very important when you're doing it correctly that you do identify the right team. Now, that's not just in terms of their playing style. It's other things. It's things like what kind of city are you putting them into? What are the facilities at the club? Who's the coach? Who are the coaching staff? How much time do they spend in the training field? What kind of things do they look at? So now when, when a club makes a loan offer for a young player, especially one as talented as Phil Foden, I think it's almost like an application process where where that club, there's an onus on the club who's looking to make the loan move, there's an onus on them to, to show Manchester City that they are the right fit for the player rather than just a club who will come in and say that he'll get X amount of minutes in the first team in, in this role. You're looking for ideally a, a team that plays three in the centre midfield so that Foden can play in his most comfortable position. When it gets to the point of a player being loaned out, in, in the form of development years, there's a huge amount of onus, and I think it's correct in playing players out of their natural position. It's the, You kind of heard about that if you've ever read Dennis Bergkamp's book, Stillness and Speed. He talks about Ajax when he was played at right back by coaches at Ajax. I think it was Louis van Hal, but I might, be, I might be incorrect on that. It might have been Johan Cruyff even. It was certainly one of them. They played him at right back for a spell. And they played him at right back when he was naturally a right midfielder at the time. So he could see how difficult it was for the right back when the right midfielder didn't do his defensive work. When he could see how difficult it was for the right back who was making bombing runs forward, trying to get beyond the right winger and the right winger wasn't passing it on. So it's kind of adding to the player's overall tactical picture, as it were. But now with a player like Phil Foden, I think you found his role. His role will be in the centre. It will be in the half spaces. It will be creative on the half turn looking to play combinations quickly in around the final third. So you're looking for a team that'll fit that, and I think that's difficult to find, especially in the Premier League. As you say, Swansea a few years ago, absolutely. They would have been an ideal fit. Even Bournemouth two seasons ago, you would have looked at them and thought, yeah, that's that's almost right. But but who else now beyond that? You certainly wouldn't send them, I don't think, to Huddersfield or to, to a Brighton, anyone like that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next season with Foden. Just finally on Foden, um, kind of again in contrast to Sancho here, um, what does his decision to stay tell you about his personality even? Because, uh, he sort of touched on this before, but like, broadly speaking, it could be viewed as either being determined or safe, depending on how kind you want to be to him. I think so. I mean, I think Jadon Sancho's decision to move to Germany, I think, has completely taken him out of his comfort zone. As much as I, I touched upon the fact that there might have been a character issue with him, I think he's kind of shown that may not be the case by taking the move to Borussia Dortmund as opposed to one of the easier moves, no doubt, were on the table. So 
for Phil Foden for the moment to decide to stay at Manchester City, I think he almost has a grounded. I, I don't know the lad. I, I haven't spoken to anybody around him, so I can't. I can't speak from first person experience. To me, it looks like somebody who's grounded, who who is aware of their ability, but isn't kind of caught up in the lifestyle yet. He's not demanding to be part of the first team. He understands that he still has to learn and develop, and and he understands that in his position right now, learning from Guardiola, training with De Bruyne and, and Silva, I think that these are things that are invaluable for a young player, and he hopefully recognises that. But I think we'll see more when he comes back from his injury, exactly what his position in the first team squad is. Well, believe it or not, and what any sort of biases anyone uh, might think that me or indeed you might have as, as Scotsman, uh, I, I do wish him well. I think he's a really, really exciting player. I've always enjoyed watching him. I managed to catch quite a few of uh, City's pre-season games, uh, and he, he got quite good minutes during the summer. And then again, he's he's made appearances this season before his his unfortunate injury, and he, he's just a joy to watch. You know, he just he just really seems almost the definition of natural talent you know he just, he's totally got this but he's also combining that with the learning side of the game you know and I think when you add those two together you've really got ingredients for for a, a terrific player so I, I wish him nothing but well um, right so our next player and this will be fun try to pronounce it but we'll try our best it's because uh, I, I looked up the pronunciation and I've heard a few varying ways of saying it but the way I'm going to do it is this our next player is Dominic Zobosloy. Oh, that's not even kind of close. I know that's not <laughs> close. But Zoborsley, Zobosloy, and something else that I heard. So just pick one of those, and that's what we're going for. But yep, tell us a bit about him. <laughs> it looks like he's something of a set-piece specialist on top of his other obvious talents as well. Yeah, he's a, he's a really interesting player. Um, Zoborsley, I think, is the pronunciation I got. I asked a, a Hungarian journalist that I follow on Twitter, I asked him for a pronunciation. I think it was Saborsky. That's a good way to do it then. Yeah, <laughs> ask a Hungarian rather than asking Google. But yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it could be the way forward. Saborsky is a, a 17-year-old, I'd say a midfielder. He's a modern midfielder in that he kind of, he doesn't have a, a set role within the midfield that I've seen so far, but that may just be that he hasn't he hasn't settled on one. Saborsky is part of the, the Red Bull kind of group at the moment where obviously they have Red Bull Leipzig, they, sorry RB Leipzig, we're not allowed to say Red Bull Leipzig and they have Red Bull Salzburg as well as uh, a couple of other clubs but they also have a club in the Austrian second tier called Liefering I believe that's correct um, so Zaborsley has been on loan at Liefering this season it's a very strange loan I remember speaking to um, to somebody within the, the Red Bull group, uh, one of the coaches last season when they, they youth team had to run to the final of the Europa Youth League and actually won it and he said that a lot of the time they were struggling with getting time to train the players properly because a lot of them were on loan at Liefering but they were released to play for Red Bull Salzburg's youth team in that tournament so I'm not quite sure exactly how the loan regulations in Austria work. Saborsley is another one, he, he's on loan at Liefering at the moment in the second tier in Austria and he is hands down, one of the most promising young players that I've come across in world football for a long, long time. He's very tall, 1 meter 86 so that's about 6 foot 3, possibly. At 17, yeah, at 17 years old. But for all of his height, his technical ability in the ball is what stands out. He, he never looks out of place. He's very, very comfortable in possession of the ball. He's already capped by Hungary under 21. Um, I don't think it'll be long before the Hungarian national team, their, their first team, cap him. In terms of potential, we talked about Phil Foden's potential, but Saborsley is one of the few players that I would put ahead of Phil Foden at the moment. He can strike the ball with either foot. He's, he's capable of passing long. He always plays in the centre. I haven't seen him yet play out wide, and I don't think that would be his natural game, to be honest. He, he's kind of better when he's able to move around the midfield freely. Takes possession of the ball very, very easily. Because of his size, he's very, very good at resisting the press. So if any teams try to press him, He's very, very strong, so he's able to hold them off and play off. But if they sit off of him for too long, he's also capable of hitting the longer passes. So identifies space in the final third very, very well. And he's able to find players with the technique and kind of the weight of the pass is always very, very good. But as you touched upon, he's also great from free kicks. He scored, I don't know how many goals he scored for Leafering so far this season. I've seen him score from open play and I've seen him score from free kicks too. He's very difficult to to kind of to pick up 
for the opposition when he moves forward from the midfield. He timed his runs very well. It's almost like, I suppose, Frank Lampard is the prototype, isn't he? He's the player who mm. timed his runs perfectly to get into penalty area at the right time to collect the pass and score. And Savorsley's so got a lot of that about him. Not that he's... I certainly wouldn't compare him to Frank Lampard, but that aspect of his game reminds me of him. Yeah, absolutely. And it's... From all the clips that you see of him and stuff, you, you, you touched on it earlier. Um, I've I seen a lot of him playing when he was playing for under 17s for Hungary, so not even you know under 21s yet. And it was it was almost hilarious how much better he was than every other player on the pitch. Yeah, like everyone in one his team, the opposition, he was so far ahead. It's oh, uh, some of the things he was doing, and it's just you can all you can, you can see his thought process in an instant. You know, and it's as a result of everything, every instinct he's got in him, be it learned or just something that he kind of just knows how to do. He was so far ahead of his peers that it, it was it was just an absolute phenomenon watching him. It was an absolute phenomenon. So I think the next thing we're, we're going to touch on here uh, was, because you, you've already mentioned it, but, you know, sidestepping the, the morality of clubs under the, the Red Bull banner, because I think you know, that's a different conversation for a different day, but there seems to be a clear progression from like Liefering to Salzburg to Leipzig, or you know, as you touched on the the loan stuff is like Salzburg back to Liefering and then back to Salzburg and then potentially on to Leipzig. And you look at players like uh, Upamecano and uh, Cormac Leimer, um, they've had very similar pathways as well because they're now playing for Red Bull or sorry RB Leipzig. So can can you tell us more about how that whole process works and how that whole network works? And um, do, do you think because obviously it's kind of maybe looking much further down the line, but would you be surprised if Saborsley didn't end up at Leipzig? I'd be hugely surprised if he didn't end up at Leipzig. Um, I've spoken to somebody, I have a contact at RB, um, Red Bull Salzburg, sorry, and I, I just touched base with the contact to ask, you know, what, what's the opinion of Saborsley within the Red Bull network? And he very quickly came back to me with a very simple answer. Future world-class talent. That's how they view. That they they think he's going to reach the very top. So, um, you speak about. I mean, the morale is. I think it has to be almost set aside to a certain point. If you step back from the morality and, and if you consider the Red Bull Group and what they're doing in terms of their football clubs at the moment, I don't think there's a better example of player identification and development in world football at the moment. I think previously you would look at clubs like Benfica, Porto. Udinese for a long time, even Ajax, you look at these clubs as almost the bastions of being able to identify young talent, take them in, develop them, and then you look to sell them on and either make the profit or or they take your first team to where they want to be. But I think that the Red Bull group kind of outstrips that, and that's because of the of the scope of Red Bull at the moment. And it's all been overseen, obviously, by Ralph Ranić, who is currently the, the sporting director at... RB Leipzig, but he was previously the sporting director for the whole Red Bull group. So a lot of what's been put in place is kind of built around his philosophy. And I think that clear philosophy throughout all the clubs helps a player who's moving from one to the other. I think that at 17 at the moment, he, he's born in October. So you'll be looking at next season, into next season before he turns 18. But I still think that Saborsley will be at Red Bull Salzburg next season. I don't think he'll be at Liefering. I think he'll be ready to get those minutes in the Austrian Bundesliga. And then you'll probably look at another season before he's, he's off to, to Salzburg. Um, sorry, to Leipzig. It's very, it's very confusing with all these. I arguments. know. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, are, there are a couple more, though, at Salzburg at the moment. There are a couple of young African players, Samaseku and Haidara. And I think that they'll be through the pipeline onto Leipzig first and that'll be what opens up the space in the squad for Saborsley to step into. But yeah, I've got a huge amount of admiration for the way that they're developing players at the moment. Well, that's actually the, the, the next sort of thing I was going to ask was, um, yeah, because I think it is quite clear that he is going to be at Salzburg next season, but what would his pathway be into that team? So yeah, do, do you think that people will sort of get moved up to Leipzig or can you just move elsewhere and he'll be basically straight into the first 11 or do you think he'll just be around the squad I think initially you're, you're looking at him just coming around the squad he he will have trained with the first team I have absolutely no doubt about that but it's different just going from training to suddenly being part of that squad and being part of the match day experience I think that's when that's when the, the continuation through all the different teams is hugely beneficial I mean, 
it's similar to, I mean, there are very, very few sides that do it now, but the the old Barcelona model, I think you have to call it old now because they don't really rely on La Masia as much anymore. But the idea that there's this central thread running through all their teams so a player can slot into any team and know his role within that team, I think that's important. I think that's something that, that Saborsley will benefit from. I do think that Samasiku and Haidara will move up to to Leipzig. If I mean, I, I've heard interest. In, I've heard there being interest in Samasuku. Samasuku, sorry, from other clubs. He he's more of a, a defensive deep sitting midfielder. While Haidara is a, a box to box kind of more offensive midfielder. Very technical. Very good in the ball. There's been interest in in Samasuku from other clubs, but I think that both he and Haidara will move up. It'll just be a question of when and when. He does. You've got players like Saborsley to to come in alongside the other midfielders that they already have at Salzburg, and there's even more sitting that Romano Schmid at Liefering's another one who who's just uh, he and Saborsley kind of almost play one twos together through other Austrian second Bundesliga teams that they they've got this understanding that I think will serve them well because I can see Romano Schmid coming through the pipeline too. So yeah, I think that initially Saborsley will be. Kind of around the first team, but it will not be long before he stamped himself in that first team permanently. He's he's got too much class to sit on the bench. Oh, absolutely, and and so so going back to the the morality thing that we, that we both touched on there, I think this is the important thing about Red Bulls. Like, yeah, you know, plastic club and stuff. It's the death of football. And that. I, yeah, I would. I get everybody's point about that, and especially the ones that maybe like are actual fans of like other Austrian teams or other Bundesliga clubs, for example, in in, in Germany, but. I think they're doing it the right way, you know. They haven't just pumped in all this money and then they're going out and trying to buy Neymar, you know, or they're trying to buy <laughs> ready-made stars and stuff. Like, they're, they're doing it the right way and, like, whether or not the way they're doing it is moral or whatever, however you want to put it, I think it benefits football as a whole because they're they're producing just just such brilliant players, just, like, one after the other after the other, you know, and like, you're talking about, like, Haidara and stuff. You can easily pigeonhole him and not a bad way but you could like pigeonhole him as being like a replacement for like Naby Keita because Keita's out the door to Liverpool, uh, to Liverpool Haidara goes to Leipzig replaces him and then you could argue somebody like well it's Borsley's coming to Salzburg to, to replace him you know and it's 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 great it's, it's it's they're just doing it the right way you know because it, it it's easy to complain about when it is just people or like even go back to like Man City, you know, like suddenly the, the the millions and billions get pumped in and then they're just they're spending all the money. I mean at least uh, uh, the Red Bull umbrella they're kinda they're doing it in a in a good way, I think. But yeah. uh right, well to 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 get uh, take a sort of slight step back away from these um names like Saborsley, we'll get to one that's only three letters long. <laughs> uh ARP. So <laughs> there we go, that was easy. Uh, Jan Fita ARP um is yet another precocious German talent, uh, this time coming through the Hamburg youth ranks. So tell us a bit about him and what makes him stand out as a player. Um I would say for me personally, from what I've seen from him, pace and especially composure or what I've noticed for someone so young. Yeah, I mean he's another who's who's only eighteen, but he already sits over six feet tall. So He's quite tall, but with that, he's he's quick. He's, he's certainly, I wouldn't say he has sustained pace, but as a forward, you don't really need sustained pace. Sorry, not so much as a forward, as number nine. Jan Fiete Arp is very much a number nine. He He's not a player who'll play off the front line. I think he'll play as the last man. He'll look to pull off the shoulder of the defender, and he'll kind of, his acceleration, his pace will help to get into that space between the defensive line, the goal for through balls or crosses, anything like that. It's interesting, actually. This is the first time for a long time, I think. The exception may be Timo Werner. But other than Timo Werner, it's very difficult to look and find another very good, promising young German striker. They have players in almost every position since they revamped their youth system years ago. And that's obviously that's been highly publicised. Everyone knows by now exactly how that worked. And the setting up of all the regional centres of excellence for players to go and get extra coaching and things like that. They've produced centre-halves, midfielders, wide players, full-backs, goalkeepers by, by the boatload. But it's very difficult to find a, a top-class young German striker. So Arp kind of is the, the hope of that generation. And he's he's been nothing but prolific for, for the German youth teams when I've seen him play for them. He was straight away, he's kind of a standout when you see him. And as you touched upon, it's his composure. He's very, very good when he's through on goal, one-on-one with a goalkeeper. He, he very rarely panics and he's he's quite clinical with his ability to find the corners of the net, which is important for a young striker. 
the only issue that I think that Art may have with his development is that he's currently at Hamburg, and Hamburg are are just a mess. <laughs> they, they've been a mess for a long time now, kind of in and out. They've they've struggled against relegation most seasons recently. I can't remember the last time they had a, a nice run towards European competition for a club of Hamburg size. That's that's unacceptable. So whether as an 18-year-old he'll kind of get the first team minutes that he needs at Hamburg when they're facing relegation or whether they'd rather go for a Bobby Wood or someone like that, a more experienced striker, I think that'll be the question going forward for him. Well, that that was um, kind of take this nicely to my next question, really, because I was Hamburg, I think I'm right in saying anyway, I think they're the only club in Bundesliga history that's never been relegated, which yeah, is kind of... It's, it's amazing long term, but also amazing just how bad they've been in, in the last few years that they've managed to scrape out at the end, you know. Um, but as much as they obviously yearn for, you know, like a degree of stability and stuff, like th- does their precarious situation mean that they're sort of resigned to players like ARP maybe being bankable commodities as opposed to long term fixtures in the first team? Or is that kind of just like the reality for every club that isn't Bayern or Dortmund? <laughs> Even Dortmund, I mean, they'll sell. Well, I true, true. I, I think you may be right. I, I'm not sure. I think that to a point, you'd almost rather see Arp make a move to another club, kind of to aid his development. If it was to come up, say during the summer, for example, that Arp was available for transfer, I would find it extremely surprising if the aforementioned Red Bull Leipzig, RB Leipzig, sorry, done it again, were at the, the front of the queue for him. I think that. Their policy of signing promising young players under the age of 24, I think he kind of would fit in right at the top of that with his potential and his ability and the fact that he's German as well. I think we could well see him make that move to Leipzig if it ever came up. I think that there's something, I mean, we, we all know, every football fan knows that there's just something about your own player, about a player who's come through the youth ranks at your own side and come on to do well, that there's nothing that quite unites a fan group like that. And I think that, to an extent, Hamburg may be relying on that a little bit to kind of appease the fans. I don't know. He's he's played, and don't get me wrong, he has featured in the first team this season. He's got two goals in the Bundesliga. One of them was, was a display of just how good he is technically when the ball was played into him at the edge of the penalty area with a defender at his back and another defender covering. He turned inside the defender right at his back first and then as a second defender came across, he stepped inside him too. And then the finish, he just rolled it into the corner of the net as opposed to trying to blast it when he can see the goal and he's under pressure. For an 18-year-old, that showed excellent composure and it was kind of the goal that that really firmed up my opinion of him. I'm not sure what the future will hold of Arp with Hamburg, but I'd like to think of his potential and his ability that whatever it is, he'll, he'll keep rising. Well, I think this is the same for for every sort of young, talented player who maybe isn't at or, or isn't already at one of the biggest clubs in the world. Because you see the teams that he's getting linked with, because uh, you know, obviously most of it's going to be complete rubbish. It's just like press speculation. But one team I seen him linked with was uh, Leverkusen. I mean, I can see that. I think that makes sense. Yeah. But then the other ones you've seen are like Spurs, Chelsea. <laughs> And it's like, oh, I, I don't know. I mean, especially Chelsea. I mean, for God's sake. <laughs> you know, I mean, they'll just get loaned out to, you know, somewhere. I mean, just one of the hundred clubs that they seem to like loan all the young players out to. But I think it's the importance of just making the right move, isn't it? And it's, it's you can't, he, well, I think he can afford to mess it up, but he'll just be wasting a few years of his career, really, you know. So yeah. we, we we really hope that he, he does go somewhere. And um, as much as it isn't something that's been, well, maybe it hasn't, I just haven't seen it, but as much as it's something that hasn't been mentioned so much in the press about linking him with Leipzig, I think that would be a really good move. I, I, I could see that. Although, arguably, there is a bit of competition for him in, in that position because you see players like, well, obviously they've got Timo Werner, but they've also got Augustan as well, don't they? Yeah. And uh, But I mean, whether or not at least one of them might be moved on and it'll just be like part of the conveyor belt, who knows? But we'll see. But uh, kind of going back to it, because you touched on it earlier about his, his goal-scoring record. I mean, he's uh, at international level for the under-17s, for example. I mean, it's phenomenal. Like His, his record is brilliant. And while that only goes so far, I mean, do you see him maybe in the future becoming like a, a fixture in the full German squad? Because as you mentioned, like it's, it seems to be the one position that they don't, for whatever reason, they haven't really developed that well as, as that sort of number nine role. Because even when you look at their World Cup winning squad, it was all these players that came through plus Miroslav Klose. 
uh, basically, <laughs> you know. And uh, even like like Mado Gomez as well is still yeah. kind of in, in and out of the squad. Um, I, I mean, do, do you think players like him and Werner as well, like they could really be what Germany turned to? Yeah, well, I think that Werner is there now. I think that Werner will definitely go to the World Cup. And I think, yeah. I, I don't think he'd be first choice. I think he, he will start on the bench, but certainly an impact player as a player late in the tournament. I think he's the, kind of the model for the German striker going forward in the team that we have just now. But if Arp can, can continue as he is, uh, I mean, it's very difficult. He's only 18, and as you said, 17 international caps for the, the under 17 team and 15 goals. People ask me occasionally about, about scouting directly, and they'll ask me, how do you view players? I mean, I scout predominantly. If it's not technical scouting, you don't why scout. If I'm at a match, it tends to be in Scotland, and it could be at any level. And you and I are passionate Scotsmen, but we'll both tell you that the Scottish League is not good. Mm. So a lot of the games that I go to may not be the best, and kind of people, people ask me how you judge a player based on the, the level of competition they're playing against and you can only judge a player based on who they're, they're coming against you, you can't you can't say well he's only playing against so and so if if you see a young striker come on if you if you know a striker's got 15 goals in 17 games it doesn't matter what level he's playing at it shows he can find the net and I think that's what's important I think they've been able to kind of extrapolate that and, and break it down and look beyond that to, to what that player can become almost becomes more important you, you can't you can't turn your back on statistics like that. So the fact that he's already got that kind of goal-scoring record for the under-17s, I think his natural progression will be to head towards the under-21s now. And if he can continue to score for the under-21s, I don't doubt that at some point he will get a chance for the first team. But it will depend on how he's doing at club level. A lot of it will depend on that. You can play at under-21 level if you're a bit part player for Hamburg. There's no doubt about that. There are players all across Europe who may not be fixtured for their clubs, but they'll play for their their, their national teams in their 21s. It's kind of a, another development stage. But for a, a nation like Germany, I don't think that they will turn around and pick a player who's on the bench for Hamburg to, to be part of the, the main national squad. I think he'll either need to be thrown open the door and he'll have to be a regular part of the first team at Hamburg and he'll be scoring the Bundesliga, or he'll have to make a move off and kind of be doing the same thing at another club. Yeah, and, and, and before we move on to our, to our, our next player here, um, j- just a more general question because you know we, we've touched on it a, a few times here that Germany over recent years, since they you know tore it up and started again, they have struggled to produce number nines. And I, I guess my question for you is simple: Why? I think that it's very different. I mean, I remember I'm of an age. I remember playing football in the park with my friends. And you probably did the same thing, Grant, where we set up goals, stick somebody in goals that doesn't want to be there, and then we all choose a player, and you pick your favourite player, and that's who you'll be. Aye. So I, I was usually Stoichkov or Romario, someone like that. I, I always wanted to be a goal scorer, even though you know six foot one, so I was kind of more centre midfielder. But I always chose something like that. I think now young players are kind of looking to be midfielders more than are looking to be forwards. It's it's part of youth football. I see, I, I coach as well at youth level and around Scotland and Aberdeen. And it's something that you see, it's kind of the way that Pep Guardiola almost started it at Barcelona where he took players who were full-backs or who were wingers or who were attackers or centre-halves and made them midfielders because to him midfield was the most important part. And he's kind of gone away from that now. But I think that stuck for a long time within youth development and people used to, if you were a promising fullback, they'd stick you in midfield because that ability to to kind of have that engine and be able to open up the play with your left foot, for example, would, would be beneficial going forward. I think there's been a move kind of to take people away from more traditional roles and make them into, it's what's the word I'm looking for? It's almost like all-purpose midfielders. So you have a team of eight players who are able to provide any function on the on the pitch as it were without having a, a focal point striker. So I think there's been something of that in it. I mean, Germany's famed for its strikers. I, I I'm too young to remember the likes of Gerard Muller, but I've certainly read enough about him and seen enough old footage to see just how good he was. And even going going way back, that's the, the Fritz Walters of, of the world. He was one of the most famous older German forwards and going way back. So now to have 
Germany as a nation, where they've gone from Klingsmann, Roller, they've gone through, suddenly you've got Oliver Bierhoff, who, for all that he's good in his current role at, at the German national team, he was a very limited forward. And now you've got Mario Gomez and Miroslav Klose, who's now retired. So I think it's very, very difficult to pin down one reason why they have no forwards left. Yeah, it, it's just a, it's just a strange one, isn't it? Because there was that gap between you, you had players like Klose uh, playing for Germany still. We you know when he was like thirty four and stuff like yeah. that. And the, the, but, the, but there was no one younger that was good enough. I mean, that that was the reason. It's not just because he was class. I mean, he is genuinely one of my favourite players ever. You know, yes. just he, he's so he's just a finisher. You know, like it doesn't matter where, what angle he is, or his head and ability as well, which is great. You know, he's a, a pure, pure finisher. But yeah, there was no one. He wasn't just playing because he was really good. He was playing because there was kind of no one else. And then you see the years where they were using uh, like Mario Götze as like a false nine, and then you had like Thomas Müller sort of doing his is yeah. a uh, thing from the right, you know, drifting <laughs> about and stuff. And uh, but yeah, there was just up until Timo Werner, basically, yeah. there was no one. Uh, so uh, it's a it's very interesting that I mean, maybe it was just dumb luck, but I doubt it. You know because it's 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 very strange. And I think maybe you touched on it that it's a, maybe a change in sort of young players' mentalities and stuff. I I can't remember exactly who it was, and I'll, I'll be paraphrasing here, but I think it might have been Philip Lam actually, because I think he was commenting on the fact that they didn't um, develop a lot of. Or not as many fullbacks, for example, as he did centre backs. So he's again, he's, he started the World Cup. Philip Lamb uh, was in midfield, and in their back four were all centre backs. And even if you look at um, recently, their left backs been like uh, Jonas Hector, but he, I believe, he started in the equivalent of like the, the German non leagues, and then he yeah. sort of just made his way up. So he didn't even come through the the same sort of like academy system that the rest of them did. And right. basically. Philip Lamb said something along the lines of, oh yes, because everybody just wants to be like a little sort of midfielder now, and that's all we focused on. We focused on that for so long that we've now got the surplus of that sort of player, and yeah, maybe it is just sort of, they realised, like, oh my God, really, we're producing so many of these guys, maybe we need to change the way we're doing this now, and, and now you're seeing people like Arp, and then a bit older than him, like Werner coming through, so, I mean, who knows, we could see, we could suddenly have a glut of German number nines again, and then we'll, then we'll be in trouble, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, right, so or moving on to our last player here, um, and we mentioned Per Schurz earlier and how he'll be moving to Ajax for the start of the 2018-19 season. And that is exactly what our next player is doing, Hassan Bandy. So tell us a bit about him. What's he like and what are his standout attributes? I, I'd never come across Hassan Bandy until I saw the links to Ajax. And then I, I very quickly went on Scout and had a look at him. And I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing. This is a player who he's been playing for Mechelen in the Belgian league. He's only 19 from Burkina Faso, but this is his first season in European football. He, he literally signed for Mechelen at the start of this season from, from his homeland, from for Burkina Faso. And all of a sudden, Mechelen, within six months, have turned around and made a, a £7 million profit on him. <laughs> it's just staggering. <laughs> Not bad. But in 17 games in the, the Pro League in Belgium at the moment, he's already on eight goals. And this is from a player who's a wide player, he's not a striker. It kind of shows a little bit of what he's about. He's, I quite like this week that we, we've kind of chosen four completely different players. We've had a number nine, we've had a, a more of a, an Iniesta type, we've had an, an all-round midfielder, and now we've got a wide player. He plays more on the left-hand side, and that's kind of where he's at his most natural, but he's very, very capable of coming inside with the ball. He's, he's full of tricks, he's full of little flicks and moves when he receives the ball under pressure. More often than not, he's capable of either rolling the defender and moving into space, or he's got the ability, he's he's very good at the fake, so he'll receive the ball and look like he's twisting to the right, but he'll already flick the ball off to the left, and even the cameraman's kind of caught by surprise a couple of times with the things <laughs> that he does with the ball. He's that kind of player. He's full of He's full of it's, it's almost like it's something that we don't see as much in young players that are developed purely within the European academy system. As we've already touched upon, there's been, you know, there's so much focus now on, on playing a certain way and playing the right way that the fun is nearly coached out of a lot of players. And when I watch Hassan Bandy play, it's fun. It's it's fun because you, you, you have no idea of what he's going to do when the ball's coming to him. You have no idea which way he's going to go. 
how he's going to get there or whether he's still going to have the ball in 30 seconds or whether he's going to fall over and, and you've not seen why. He's, he's kind of that kind of exciting, attacking, inventive player that kind of makes football fun to watch for a lot of people and it'll be interesting to see how he gets on with the big move to Ajax at the end of the season. Well, that's it. And as you mentioned, like you only moved to his current club and indeed Europe in the summer. Now, is this a calculated risk by Ajax? And I don't want to be like cynical about it, but is it a case of if they didn't move now, someone else might have beaten them to the chase? So we'll just kind of get in here just in case it does turn out to be that good? Or is there something about them that is that good that they're like, yep, let's just get him? Because I'm, let's not even wait for him to complete his holes. His holes. Well, obviously, they're going to leave him there, but like, let's just not wait and see how the second half of the season goes. Let's just tie him down now. Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think that, I mean, Ajax have always been very, very good at identifying players playing in Belgium. They they had Jan Vertonghen, Toby Alderweireld, players like that who came through the Belgian league as well as Scandinavia. That's another area that they're very strong at their talent identification. So for a player to come to a club like Mechelen, this isn't Anderlecht or Club Rouge or Standard Liège or even Ghent or Genk. This is Mechelen and suddenly he's got a goal every 154 minutes in the first team. And I think that as we touched upon with Ark and his goal scoring record, I think after a point you almost think that these kind of statistics aren't going to lie to you as it were. So I think that they, they've certainly signed him up for next season. I think he will be part of the first-team squad at Ajax next season. Whether he is a regular starter for them, I think, is another matter. I think that he will be more of an impact player off the bench because I can't see him displacing Justin Cliver or Davi Neresh. I think that he will he will be a player that comes on in tight situations or when they're ahead kind of to get a bit more experience. But I think they have bet on his potential more than they have on his current ability at the moment. And, and that's if Neres is still there. You know, I mean, you, you see yeah. the fact that he's, he's getting linked with over everybody under the sun, basically. So, um, but I mean, that, but that's, again, that's kind of going back to almost the Red Bull style of thing. You know, like Ajax seem very good at, like, basically identifying people that could come in and then, even if they're not direct replacements, if we do lose someone like Neres, and yeah, we can get a lot of money for him, but at least we've got somebody, you know, potentially like Bandy that's, you know, they can do a job here and they can come in and we can develop them and then that could become the next net is that we had that we had sell yeah. a couple of years for like you know 30 40 50 million so but uh, as, as you mentioned like kv mecklen that he's at and and you know, they've got a, a little bit of a european pedigree and stuff but by and large they are overshadowed by the likes of anderlecht and standard liege and you know, x y and z that does the fact that bandai is from burkino faso point to their use of like left field scouting locations because that's probably a good idea for smaller clubs in Europe is it not because I think it's still generally accepted that Africa is still a, an underutilised nation in terms of identifying youth prospects yeah I think so I think that Africa is one of the areas of I mean you have obviously the French diaspora um, a lot of French clubs scout quite heavily in Africa and will take across the talent in Belgium is the same a lot of Belgian clubs rely quite heavily on young African players coming in and either being able to fulfil their potential or, or providing a sell-on, you know, a, a profit when you sell them on at some point after a couple of years of development. I think that that is certainly the route that a lot of them take. So clubs like Mechelen, but even even the other clubs, like um, you look at the, the young lad that Everton signed in the summer, they, they signed Henry, I can't remember, on, on Yeruku, the <laughs> young... Let's go with that. Let's go with that. It's close enough. The, the striker they signed from the Belgian league and he's now on loan at Anderlecht for this season for them. He's another who came in from, from I think, Nigeria. He came in from Africa anyway and he, he lit up the Belgian league and he was given first-team experience and, and minutes and his his original club made a fee, made a sell on profit and then, obviously, Everton will look to do so in the future as well. So I think a lot of Belgian clubs are using that pathway into offering these African players avenues into European football. The Belgium is actually one of the nations in Western Europe with the, the lowest amount of time to gain citizenship. So you don't have to be in the country for, say, five years before you can gain Belgian citizenship. And obviously that Belgian passport for young African uh, yeah, gets them around an awful lot of non-EU rules. So I think that's another reason for it. 
Oh, that, that's fascinating. That, I, I didn't know that about the passport. That's, I mean, that's probably a good idea then, you know. I mean, well, I'm saying that it might not be too valid over here in a few years' time. We'll see how Brexit goes. <laughs> but, but anyway, <laughs> right, well, I think I think that basically brings us to the end of this podcast. And I mean, again, like you said, I, I'm, I'm pleased as well that we, that we chose four very different sort of players here, like different positions, different profiles, uh, different clubs, different backgrounds. And that's the point of this podcast. So it's, 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 very, it's very good to do that. And I hope that everybody listening has enjoyed it as well but uh, Lee before we go do you want to you know, plug your Twitter website all that stuff uh, you can get me on Twitter at FM Analysis I'm always happy to chat so if you want to ask anything then feel free you can direct message me as well if you really want to you don't want to all over social media you can see a lot of my writing over on ESDF Analysis um, it's the site I'm the lead analyst for we've got a lot of different content up there player profiles uh, match analysis, manager profiles, all sorts of different things going on. So, so certainly check us out if you don't know about us. Uh, great, absolutely. And I think I've said this every time I've had you in a pod, Lee, but seriously, go check out the site. It is very good. I can attest for that. Uh, as for me, you can follow me at Odnedge, as O-D-N-E-J. You can follow World Football Index at World Football I. Uh, check out worldfootballindex.com. And also, I mean, you know, we, me, Lee, and a few other people, we're in a little like WhatsApp group where we decide what players are going to talk about and stuff. But I mean, if you've got any suggestions out there, feel free to tweet us. We can have a look at these players and we can discuss how they're worth talking about because we tend to do four pair podcasts and we've got a bit of a backlog here. So if anybody specifically you would like us to talk about, let us know. The, the more niche, the better. You know, it makes us look smarter. <laughs> so it's great. <laughs> but but uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for being here, Lee. No worries, thank you. And we'll catch you next time. See you later. Thank you.